Welcome to Pragmatic Live, the podcast series for product management and marketing professionals. Organizations are only as good as the talent they employ, yet finding that talent can be a massive challenge. All managers have standard operating procedures and talk tracks that they rely on for interviewing and filling open positions. And although there may be plenty of qualified candidates, what if they don't have that indescribable quality you're looking for? How do you find it? How do you find the talent to accomplish the tasks on your job description, but also bring the unexpected and valuable contributions to your team? I'm Lisa Sorkfriedman, and today I'm talking with Greg Adams-Woodford and Kylie Barone. Greg and Kylie have worked together at two companies over a span of eight years. Greg and Kylie discuss how they met and the challenges they faced Once Greg identified Kylie, who was the girl in procurement with no product management experience, as someone he wanted to add to his product team. Well, thanks for joining us today, Greg and Kylie. I'm looking forward to hearing your story about the the girl, and we'll put that in italics in uh, procurement. So why don't you guys tell me your story? All right, well, I'll start. This is Greg Adams Woodford, and um, I had recently started in a um, publishing company, educational publishing company, large company, and um, came into the company not really knowing anything and having really to rely upon the people who were you know, in, in the team which wasn't exactly obvious because my boss basically from the day one said, I'll introduce you to a few people and then you're on your own day two. So as I sort of made my way through the company, tried to meet people, tried to understand what I was trying to do, what I was responsible for. um, One of the people that I met based on the product that I was uh, managing at the time was this person that was in procurement. And what that meant to me was that um, she was responsible for essentially destroying um, educational materials, quality education materials. And so I had gone to her and she, by the way, is nodding her head. For those of you who obviously can't see, um, there was a, a, a sound reason for that from an economics perspective, but I thought it was a tragedy. And so I went to her and on that first day and said, well, how, how is it that we're destroying educational materials, quality education materials? Why can't we donate them? And you, Kylie, said to me, yeah. Hi, everyone. It's Kylie. So at this time, uh, I'd been at Pearson for a few years now. They had just let go of my current boss. There's another big reorganization as they kind of go in roller coaster waves over the years. So now I'm back reporting to New Jersey and I'm not happy. And now here comes this new leadership who one had just came two weeks prior, was there for a whole two days. We went through the whole pitch with him and lost him. So it's like, oh, great. Here comes another one to come in and save the day. So at this point, I'm self-teaching myself Six Sigma because I'm just done. I've had it. I'm out of here. I'm going to go find something better. So here comes Greg. As he comes in, he shuffles on over to my cube. His office was down the hall, and I knew when he was coming, he had this certain walk that I uh, deemed the shuffle. And so he comes over, 
and turn around and you have to be ready for him because when he comes over, he's going to just take over and he's going to sabotage whatever you're How doing. dare you? <laughs> so you How dare you? Save, lock your computer, whatever you're doing, just, just forget about it for the next, you know, good 30 minutes. <laughs> well, so the point is, though, Kylie was the one who had the information, even though she was, you know, in better place, nondescript person who just was in a cube doing various you know, f- kind of fulfillment issues. And so I said to her, "What? why are we destroying these things? And she gave me the reason from a financial perspective why the company had to do that. And so from that point on, I thought, well, this, this woman really does sort of get what's going on and understands what's happening. She's able to tell me um, and explain to me why that needed to be done. Yeah, nothing too exciting, but multiple reasons. We had many issues, nothing too exciting, but for procurement, they were exciting. We had you know, issues with the publication titles. There's something called 10 Little Ghosts in a book, and that was no longer PC, so we had to get rid of those. And then we had... And what was the Indian one? Yeah, we had lead in the backpacks. There was an Indian one that we had. If a child ate too many backpacks, they would have lead poisoning. Yeah, they had to eat four backpacks. Mm -hmm. By the way, they'd eat four entire backpacks for it to be a problem. (laughs) But still, we had to destroy them all and reorder them. We're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So I'm having these conversations with Kylie from a a very high level. So what we're talking about is a $120 million portfolio of products. And Kylie is quietly in her cube managing the destruction and or the creation of hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of things. So I I quickly realized this is somebody who really does understand and is completely undervalued. And how many times at a company are there people like Kylie in her role that really understand what's happening on a ground level, understand the economics, the finance pieces of it, and, you know, but they don't really ever get, you know, the credit that they deserve for that. So immediately I realized this is somebody who, you know, I, I, I value a lot because she really taught me the business in about three weeks. I mean, it was three to four weeks that I just started and you were schooling me the entire time on what we needed to do. And so at that point, yeah, Greg wanted to send all these books over to everyone who needed books everywhere across the country. And it was just like the company didn't want these showing up on eBay. Look, I'm a nice guy. I'm a sweetheart. I wanted to save the kids, right? But, but again, for good reasons, right? We went through those. And so it came to the point where I was basically running this whole thing by myself. And it was deemed by senior management. He needs help. I need to hire somebody. And so I went to my boss, who was this ex-submarine commander guy, and he said, you know, you need to hire some people to help you out because you're clearly underwater. And I said, well, I already know who I want to hire. And he said, well, who, who are you going to hire? And I said, well, I'm going to hire Kylie. And he's like, who's that? And I said, Kylie, she's in procurement. She helped us with the, the book things and the destroying the stuff and all that. And he said, that girl in procurement? Yep, and there it began. I became the girl in procurement. <laughs> so forever, but not a bad thing because I said, first of all, she's not a girl. And second of all, she really knows the business. She understands it. And so we fought for three weeks, I think. And um, he eventually just gave in because I wouldn't stop. And so Kylie got hired out of procurement into the role of associate product manager. Some people don't think that's a role, but we we had that role at Pearson. And it was almost straight away that she started contributing immediately. Interestingly, though, we had some issues, Kylie, with um, hiring on, if you remember. And maybe you want to talk about that. So... 
the salary and all of that. Sure. Basically, uh, what's interesting, of course, at a big company is there's rules in place and they're in there to protect everybody and make sense, but not when it somehow negatively impacts you. So at that point, the job was a lot higher responsibilities and had a higher pay grade. However, because of the salary I was at, I could only have a certain percentage increase. So talking to HR, they basically said, yep, this is as far as you can go, which didn't even match the minimum for the new job I was starting. And so I sat back and was like, wait a second, you're telling me someone from outside the street who knows nobody here, who knows nothing about our culture, how things work here, any of this stuff would basically come in here cold and get paid more than me. They're like, yep. So I had, so basically I had to say, well, if she quit Pearson and then we rehired her into that position, could she get the salary? And they were like, yeah, but you can't do that. So we had that issue as well. Right. So it wasn't, it wasn't just about trying to find talent in, a, in places you would never expect to find it. And always, always keeping your eyes open, come, you know, talking to people and getting to know people on a human level so that you really do understand their potential. You know, that's one part of it. But then once you find those people, which is hard to do, right? Because it requires a lot of effort to really invest in people, you know, um, and, and people that you don't think, like you talk about the sales organization, the finance organization, the procurement organization, really going and trying to find people. And it takes conversation. It takes time. And I remember people used to say, what does he do? He just seems to walk around and talk to people all the time. <laughs> and, and that was true. I mean, that's really what I did because I was trying to find the people, you know, internally to build a team. It's, it's, much easier to do that, I think, than hire from outside. So we had that. But then once you find somebody, then you have a whole nother, you know, obstacle course of trying to hire them in to a position. So that requires finance. That requires HR. That requires all of these, these, you know, the hoops that you have to jump through. Meanwhile, the person who is doing a great job um, and who's basically I've convinced, and we'll talk about the interview here in a minute, you know, I've convinced to sign on. And then HR says, well, she's going to get paid $20,000 or $25,000 less because she can't move up more than 9%. So, so then the, the challenge of the manager becomes, I convinced her, I made certain promises uh, because I thought they were accurate. And then I had to, for the next year and a half, um, have this conversation with Kylie at least once a month, which was, when you know, when am I going to be paid, paid fairly? And her mom had that conversation with me and her husband had that conversation with me as well, just so you know, um, in a you know, in a uh, respectful way, but it was, it was a real source of contention. So it's not just finding the talent, but it's also having to work within an organization's HR structure to, you know, make sure that that happens. And I, you know, I, Kylie, you share your feelings on that. Yeah. And it's just, Greg mentioned this, but his style is so different. Just even going around and talking to people and getting to know people going from there to basically the interview in quotes, which was the weirdest experience ever. So basically, like I said, I was leaving. So I was out the door. I was just done. I had enough. And then he's just selling me, selling me on this job. And I come in for my formal interview and I get asked no behavioral questions, no situational questions, no interview questions at all. He's just talking the whole time, the whole time, pitching me on this job. And I'm thinking in my head, what is going on? This is the craziest interview. So wait a second. So I'm a shuffler <laughs> and I'm just talking at everybody all <laughs> yep. the time. That's pretty much okay. That's good. Yep. No. Okay. <laughs> But it was good. I mean, that's where you get that, that you build that rapport and that trust. And trust is so important when you're part of a team. It's really, 
it is about doing the work and getting your job done, but it's really about having that trust and support, especially from your manager and your peers. So that's where I was sold and was convinced to, you know, hang up my Six Sigma and keep going. Well, and it's interesting you say that too, because it becomes your hiring manager, which was me in this case, against the company. So it was, I was, you know, surrogate for you trying to, to advocate for you. And meanwhile, the company that I'm working for that I'm trying to convince you to stay at is saying, well, we don't value her. And so it's a weird situation, you know, and again, I, I think it's very typical, especially in big corporations that you have that kind of a, a, a situation. Mm-hmm. So we, anyway, so we, I finally did get Kylie hired in and we did have an issue with the salary, but that was, but it didn't deter her. She still, you know, managed to, Sunset, a $70 million product that had been around for, I don't know, 15, at least 15 years, right? Um, one of the most successful educational products in the market um, because we were launching the new one, which is kind of what I was focused on. And she just basically took that old product and did everything. And I only had to talk to you. Well, we talked a lot because I would shuffle over to her cube. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I really, you really handled the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was an opportunity for her to start a brand new product. And again, I was, you know, approached and said, well, we need to do this new thing. Um, who would you put in charge of it? And who, what did I say? That girl from procurement, remember her, we're going to put her in charge. Well, she's too young. She's a girl. Like we're not going to put her in charge. And I said, have you not seen what she's done up to this point? And it literally, I'm not kidding. That was the discussion. And so I said, we're, she's in charge. So another month discussion and Kylie had to put a complete business plan together that went to literally the sort the of president of North. Yeah, America. it was a. I mean, way up Within the chain. Company. So Kylie, I have to ask, how how did you feel? And at the time, I mean, did you know all of this stuff that was going on in the background that no, you're being judged not. on being young and a woman? And I know, thankfully, this came out later. Okay, <laughs> because I, I had a different opinion at the time. I just wonder that would yeah. be that would be tough when you're clearly doing the job. You know what you're doing. You're competent, and yet you're not being judged on what you're doing. Mm-hmm. So I think it just it was kind of I could tell from the beginning that this was my trial run by getting the old legacy product that nobody wanted. Everyone wanted, of course, the new great thing, but that was in itself its own challenge and had its own issues that they were dealing with. So I got to kind of just step in, easily work on my 70 million project and do that and kind of prove to myself and everybody else that I could do that. And I did that successfully. And then I opened doors to launch four brand new products after that and got, and then all of a sudden I had the new projects and I got to do all the new teams. And so I just didn't let anybody deter me. I was just focused on what I was doing and thankful for the opportunity. And of course those kind of stories came out after the fact. And so you're like, wait a second, (laughs) if I had known this, but no, everything worked out. But I think it's, I mean, it's a testament to Kylie's determination and skill, right? And, and because she was able to do it, but it's, it also takes, you know, an entire organization and a team. So it wasn't just Kylie. It was the team all around Kylie respected Kylie over time. Um, even though maybe I made the initial foray into saying she needs to be doing this because she has all the talent to do it, but the team respected her. And she just started to build a rapport with the management then. And part of my job was to always say, 
you know, here's the people that are on my team. Here's what they're capable of. And I'm going to make sure that it's demonstrated to you in a public forum, like a sales conference. So Kylie would get up who had never done any public speaking and who probably isn't the most comfortable doing that. I said, you have to do this. You've got to get up there and stand in front of everybody and talk. And so yeah, the first... first time was in front of educators at a customer event. This is my first time speaking on this brand new product. I'm not super familiar with it. I don't have the research pedigree and everything that everybody else had in my peers. I'm more of a business background versus education background. So right before I get up, uh, the marketing VP comes up and says, well, we're going to record you. Here's your mic. We're going to put this up. Well, it was makeup. Remember the makeup? The makeup part was the best because they're like, do you mind if we put some makeup on you? And she was just like frozen in fear. And so my job was to stand there and tell jokes so that she would try to be loose because she had to get up. And this was 150, 200 people that she had to you know get up and stand in front of. And it's going to be broadcast to the entire North American market, right? And cameras all on. Like, I didn't sign up for this. So it started as, yeah, I'm going to talk about my product. into this whole presentation thing and she did great she did great you know so again it just proves but she wouldn't have got that exposure unless you take a risk and say i'm willing to put her in that position i know she can do it she needs to know she can do it she doesn't maybe know that but i need to make sure she knows she can do it and then she did it and then it was each time she did it and i remember the president of the company who is this old school great guy really great guy but old school guy and I had a lot of women on my staff just because they were the smartest people for those jobs. And he said to me, the best thing you ever did was hire all these people into your organization, which I stole from all other parts of the organization. They came from sales and educational consultants. And I just thought to myself, well, I had something to do with this, not just them. Like, and it was funny because it was really about putting a team together, right? And, and finding these people in these corners of the company that it didn't really make any sense. And so we just put this whole team together of people who've been at Pearson for two years, for seven years, for 20 years. And we put this whole team together of people around this digital, agile software thing, which they were all, a lot of them were ex-teachers, you know? And so it was just finding them in these places or somebody who grew up, you know, had a finance background, like Kylie had a finance background. But it didn't matter, right? It was just finding the right people on that team and putting the right personalities together. Um, which is, I think, a hard thing to do. Well, I think so, too, because in my experience, a lot of times, there aren't a lot of bosses like you out there, you know, people who are willing to look internally and find people who maybe don't have the certification or the degree in that specific area, but they've got the intelligence and the smarts to figure out how to to do it. You know, they've got transferable skills from other areas. Yeah, but I mean, how do you do? I mean, I, I listen to this. I think this is great. I love this story. How wonderful! But not everybody is savvy enough, or I guess aware enough to to get out there and and find. Well, I think he, here's what happens. You're like, you, if you get, let's say you get an MBA, you're taught, you know, ten resumes per position times three months. I mean, there's like formulas, right? And people who come up in through school or whatever they they think that there's a convention that you use to do that and then they follow that convention as opposed to as opposed to being human about it and for me it's always about people and and that's what i focus on um having a conversation you know tell me about your wife or your husband or tell me about your kids tell me about 
something funny or I, and I expose a lot about my own personal life to people about like when we used to do presentations to, to educators to talk about how my daughters would much rather deal with their digital dogs than our real dogs mm-hmm. and they what they wanted the real dogs you know and so you expose a lot of, and you, you take a risk right. right as a human you take a risk by exposing yourself but I think if you don't do that you don't get to know people mm-hmm. and in, in getting to know somebody like Kylie talked about how I would shuffle by and then the thing was always, oh, here he comes. This is a, at least a half hour commitment on my time because he's going to tell me stories and we're going to talk about all the stuff that doesn't have anything to do with my job at this moment. But but I got to know her. You know, it wasn't because I, I just thought she was, I was thought she's ISO 9000 or whatever, like standards lady. Like, you know, but when I, once I started talking to her, I'm like, well, she's got an edge to her. She's funny. She's making fun of me, shuffling by. So she had courage to make fun of like somebody who's the VP of this and that or whatever. She she had a like a courage about her that I appreciated. And that, that was the thing where, where whether she was sunsetting a product or launching new products, she had courage and she was smart. Right. And so, but I, I wouldn't have been able to know that unless I spent time with her right. to get to know her. Well, and it sounds like once you um, started working together, you were really good at pushing her outside her comfort zone. So back mm-hmm. to the um, presentation that you had to give. Yep. I mean, that must have been nerve wracking. Do you find though, having done that, did it make, did you, have you done a lot more presentations? Yeah, it yeah, and of course, different things came up, and I was able to fly on my seat where I was up uh, launching a new product, and I was trying to convince everybody based on these brand new mock-ups that we had uh, about how great and interesting and fun this new gaming product mm-hmm. was going to be, and I explained the spinner rewards wheel, and I was like, look at all these great things you can get, and then it lands on a cog, and I was like, great. Oh, yeah, I remember <laughs> that. <laughs> how exciting. And so it was, I was able to kind of ad-lib and joke through that quickly, and it's just through that... Um, yeah, as you grow and do more and more over time, I gained the confidence and it was probably better that it was more on the fly and less prepared because I didn't have time to worry about it and stress about it. It was just like I had to get it done. I, I re- had no choice. I remember one time, so she gets up and it was in a smaller group, but she gets up and she starts pointing at various oh, points of the right. screen, but she's using her middle finger. Now, I knew she this because... Finger, my mistake. It's But it's a common thing. It happened to me. and somebody in the sales organization pointed it out to me in a funny way. So I pointed out to her in a funny way in front of everybody. Hey, Kylie, what about, and I would use my middle finger and she was like, she saw it and she thought, okay, well, yeah, I guess I missed. But it was funny in that we had a trust between each other that I could tease her in front of a group of people. I knew she could recover and I made it okay. And, Mm -hmm. and, but it, taught her to think on her feet, you know what right. I mean? And so that was like another thing because it wasn't something I think that at first anybody came naturally to you, you know? Because mm-hmm. we got to know each other's personalities just besides this is my job, this is your job, just do that, give it to me, do that, give it back to me. It was like we built that trust through our relationship and learned the soft skills and stuff that you don't get on someone's mm-hmm. resume. Yeah, that's a really good point too, Kyla, because we then became like a a known entity it was always Greg and Kylie like without Kylie Greg's not going to be able to do anything because she fills in the, the other spot and vice versa right so it did became that was always like well Kylie's not there we're not going to get anything done because you know we all know what Greg's doing and <laughs> not going to yeah well I know um, you all had shared your story with me in a previous conversation we had but what struck me is I mean I knew you two worked together at Pearson but I didn't realize that you also had worked together at the stock exchange. So how many years have you two worked together as a team? It's seven or eight at least. Wow. You know, okay. I mean, at least. And and then even when we, we haven't worked together 
you know, for officially the for the last like two years or whatever. Like that, yeah. So we still talk to each other every day. And I mean, and this goes to almost everybody that's been on my teams in the past because you, again, it's that emotional investment that you make in people, right. you know, and, and you, you create these lifelong relationships with people. Even if you go in different directions, you're still connected and, and you learn, you gain a lot, you know, from that. But, but yeah, we, and at the stock exchange, that's where Kylie really took on, um, as opposed to sort of managing products, she managed big teams of people, you know, and really had to transform because we had to do a lot of stuff at the stock exchange to get them more into an agile model. And so that's where Kylie really became more of like the management side as opposed to product side. So you were able to build then on the skills that you learned at Pearson when you went into the stock exchange and even expand them yeah. farther? We learned a lot at Pearson. We got to do a lot of formal trainings like pragmatic marketing. And so we got to take a lot of that knowledge and bring it over there where it was more of a startup culture and they hadn't learned it was a more smaller startup where they weren't exposed to a lot so we got to bring a lot of those teachings and just even do a Kanban board just simple you know to-do lists and things like that and just show the teams how to work with one another just agile different principles and practices and just share best, best practices and try different things and see what worked and what didn't and we even hijacked a conference room and turned it into a creative room you know build those relationships with the team where we encourage them to stay at their choice late at night and do an Ikea run and we um, didn't ask permission and we went and hmm. you know redid it did whiteboard paint on the walls just made it a fun creative space for the creative people on our team yeah. to mm-hmm. go and share and collaborate instead of just everybody sit in your cube stay at your desk and that shows that you're working no let's all get together and work together and make it more fun and enjoyable to where people really do want to work and work together and care about what they're doing. Right. Now, when you made the transition uh, from procurement to product management, what skills did you find transferred well for you? Sure. Um, Working in procurement, I had just worked with all the product teams before, so I was familiar with how the teams all worked. What I knew from procurement was I was always, especially when we were doing any kind of uh, production, I was the last in the chain. So if you didn't plan up front right, which always happened, especially with Waterfall at the time, all the PRD requirements basically got crunched down to the end and stuff was always late, always missed, always cut, and I had to make that up as a procurement person. So once we went to, when I went to product, I was doing Waterfall initially and then switched over to Agile, but I could see initially that crunch that happens in the end because I was that crunch before and I had to do the rushing the next day that expedite through customs. So I just knew that poor planning and poor um, kind of checkpoints and execution within, which which is what Agile helps with, with doing those weekly or bi-weekly, two-week, two-week sprints, just doing things in smaller chunks and doing monthly releases was what we were doing. We were breaking it down to more manageable and we were planning it and we knew exactly what was the team was capable of and so we weren't having somebody which in that case would probably have been more QA on my teams getting that crunch at the mm-hmm. end. That's a really good point by the way and if you want to probably point to a single um, the most important thing in doing a transformation of a culture it's exactly what Kylie's talking about and it was that it was archaic the way that they were releasing software because they were typical they were used to doing books and so what Kylie's talking about her trans her transformation from being in this very step waterfall process to going into an agile 
and what I, I've never heard you say it the way that you just said it, and it's really important, is that she was able to see in a very unique position how going to a two-week sprint process made her life easier on the back end because she was still stuck in waterfall land because she was involved in all these manufacturing processes that wouldn't that weren't going to change mm-hmm. but she was able to translate into agile in a way that I didn't that I I didn't expect I mean she she really had to do that and it's interesting you said I, I never really thought about it that way in what the way you just described it so that's a really interesting lesson is that somebody who has to basically deal with everything at the end they actually can see the whole process to the beginning because they have to deal with it yeah you see when it starts you're like uh oh they're already late they're yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's really good all you want but nobody really yeah. listens smart and you never said it that way that's really that's a good point that's interesting all right so um what else has gone on if if people were going to take something away from this conversation you know, what you both learned, what, what your experiences were in uh, Greg in finding Kylie in a situation or, you know, that where she would not have been necessarily the logical choice. But you saw things in her. You knew she was the right choice to work on your team. What could other people learn from this? I think it's it really, it really comes down to investing in human beings and in, walking around, looking, listening, always listening, um, because you never know, you know, good and bad, mostly good, but you know, good and bad. If you really listen, um, and, and try to get to know people, I, I I'll say in my, one of my rules was always friends of finance, always make friends with finance. And especially if you're in like a VP role kind of a thing, it's important you do that. And HR, were the two places I always focused a lot of my time on and just getting to know those people because it, it, it was always amazing. And then, you know, it's sales organization also has a lot of interesting people because sales is a very interesting, you know, animal. But I think it's just spending, committing to not just going through a typical conventional, I have to hire somebody. So I'm going to, you know, put the resume out and I'm going to go to HR and we're going to post the position and I'm going to go through 25 interviews, which is, a, by the way, a totally horrible, boring, terrible process, which we could do at a different time. But It, it can be excruciating. And, yeah. But it's much more interesting to walk around, get to know people so that when that position comes open, you're like, oh, I know exactly who I would want to put in that position. And yeah, they're not qualified. And by the way, you know, senior management always questioned me. Like, what is he doing? He's hiring all these crazy people into these positions. Like, they're not even qualified to do. And so, I got questioned a lot. And I, and I had to convince them, no, these are already people we know. These are people who are committed to this, you know, organization. We need to promote from within. And it may come in, it may come in a weird way. But it, 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 it's worth it because those people already bought in. And if you, especially if you did your job and, and invested in them emotionally – then they're going to come back and be far more um, committed to you than if they just come in and they're talking about salary and what do I get paid? How many paid vacations do we have? Days do we have? And all of that. It becomes a personal thing. Like, no, they want to be. And one of the things we tried really hard to do on our teams were we tried to be the funnest team in the building so that if anybody got disgruntled in any part of the other, they wanted to come to our team to be on our team because mm-hmm. we wanted to be the, like the cool team. Like everybody, everybody was happy for the most part. We had a good culture. And so people, it was, it wasn't hard after a while 
to recruit people because, and in fact, it became a problem. Like, like the president of the company had to say to me, hey, knock it off already. You're stealing all the salespeople or whatever, your education consultants. You're stealing them all. Stop it. Everybody's getting mad at you because you're stealing everybody. And I, was, I felt really proud about that, you know? So, I mean, that was, you know, a big part of it too. Is just, again, it's just, I don't know, it's like, it's also just not taking yourself too seriously. It's like as managers, manager, the word manager, it's just so tedious and boring and horrible and it's about control and it shouldn't be about control it should be about connecting things together you know and so for me it was always and plus it's fun it's way more fun to talk about personal stories and get to know somebody than it is to manage because it's ugh, like who wants to manage it's just a you know it's had a high fun factor and i guess what i would say i learned was just don't to silo yourself to a job just because that's what you're good at. I was always a math numbers person, and so I was doing finance and supply chain, but it was just a job. It wasn't a passion. It wasn't a super interesting um, career-fulfilling role, and product was never one of those that it was just, oh, I know I wanted to be in product. It was more of a newer uh, area at the time, and so it wasn't something I grew up as a child or in school that you learned about that you wanted to be that. and. But just being open-minded to it and then trying it and really seeing how robust it is and how much you get to do and the whole product lifecycle management, everything from end to end and the framework covers it all beautifully, but it's just so interesting and it's so rich and so fulfilling that there's a lot of passion in that. And it's just, so I guess just, you know, it's never too late and just if you don't love your job, potentially, you know, well, product's always the way to go, but then <laughs> find something else really and you might be a better fit for something than you really are doing today. Yeah, that's interesting. I love it. Well, thank you both for coming in and sharing your story with us. I really appreciate it. And uh, hopefully we'll get a few more people out there, Greg, who are willing to look past just the labels on, on the people in their company and see what skills they have, you know, that are transferable into another arena where they really may excel, like you, Kylie, the girl in procurement. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for listening to Pragmatic Live. To learn more about how to think outside the box and hire the right person, check out our website, pragmaticmarketing.com. And be sure to find out when we'll be coming to a city near you with our training. 